calling all kids tonight at six o'clock. It'll be children's choir. Say, so look over uh, children's program. They'll be here before you know it. So I encourage all kids to be here. Uh, I just started a series on revival last week, and you know it's interesting as I listen to Megan sing that beautiful song I've heard before. I thought, so often what happens to us is we come to church, first of all, because of doctrine, the Bible says, do not forsake yourselves the assembling of one another. So we come here because God says, you are supposed to go to church. You're supposed to be with His people. Or we come out of a sense of duty. You know, God says, do this. God says, I, I, be there. Follow orders. Fall in line. But you know, guys, that can get empty so quick without His touch. Just to touch the hem of His garment. Just to remember who we are and whose we are. And, and it all gets lost. And we lose our way. We need to be revived. We need to be awakened. We need to be reminded about Jesus And we can never be who we're meant to be until we remember who we really are. And this morning, uh, last week talked about God's perfect intention about being made in His image. This week, as they used to say in the old, uh, in the mountains of mountain preachers, they said you go from preaching to meddling. Now we look at not just God's perfect intention, but we look at our present condition. I want to talk this morning about where many of us are. About what happened uh, through the fall. And how although we've been redeemed, we find ourselves wallowing back in the mud instead of next to the Master. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to be, uh, we're going to be looking at several different verses, but for a scripture reading, I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. So I'm going to ask when you find that, Genesis 3, 8 through 10, that you'd stand in God's honor as a read. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said to the woman, You put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Let's pray. Lord, here we are. God, please, Lord, I just plead with you, God, Touch us today, Lord. Uh, I'm burdened for me. Doesn't give me a lot of time for these guys, Lord. I know me. 
You do too. I pray today, O oh Lord, that You would do something way beyond me. That You would speak. And that we would hear. And God, that You would awaken us, Lord. We don't schedule revival. We don't plan it. It's bigger than we are, God. It's You. Choosing to pour out Your blessings like rain. And us being willing to soak it in, God. And I pray this morning that we'd fill your drops, Lord. Thank you. Minister to us, Master. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, we looked last week at at God's uh, perfect intention, what it means to be in the image of God. You know, what must it have been like when Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day in the garden with God. How awesome that must have been. To be at peace with God and, 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 and to, to just, just walk with Him as one. And just great times together with the Lord. But then sin entered the picture. And sin stills around the day. And many of us are slaves to sin. And, and so I want to begin this morning and, and, and we're going to just look at that original fall or sin entered the picture. And then we're going to go from there and we're going to look at what happens in our lives and where God wants us to be. And uh, by the way, you probably heard this, but a little boy had said, I know what God's name is. And his parents said, you do? What's his name? Andy. Says Andy. Says yeah. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy calls me his own. In the garden. Now, as we enter here, um, let's look at our text here. And going to chapter three. At the very beginning, we read about the serpent here. It says he was more crafty than the other animals. Our enemy, the devil, is not stupid. He is very smart. And he is very patient to trip us up. And he steps in and he, he speaks to her. And, and notice what he says. He says, we, he says, God, he said, the woman said to, uh, or he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, I want to go back a couple of verses. I want to see what God actually said. So go back to chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse... We'll start at verse 8. He says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there He put the man He had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then drop down to verses 16 and 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, that's what God had to say about it. But notice how the serpent twisted God's words. By using doubt. He says, did God really say? 
You must not eat from any tree in the garden. He, he took a phrase and, and what he's doing, this is what God always, um, what Satan always does to try to get us to believe about God. He, he's too smart to say, well, they're just going to deny God straight out. They're going to say, that God's a liar. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. So what he wants to do is to start to put doubt in our minds. Did God really say? That's his goal. That's his objective. Is He wants us to begin to ask the question, did God really say? And as he comes and he talks about this fruit to be eaten, he's basically saying to him, you know, you can't really trust God. And, and he doesn't say that straight out, but that's really what he's thinking. He, he's basically saying, you know, do you want to be like God? Do you want to be smart? Do you want to know what it's like? Do you want to get that tingle and that thrill that comes from this fruit? Why wouldn't He want you to eat it? He won't hurt you to taste of it. Nobody will ever know. It'll be our little secret. Don't you, don't you want to, don't you want to just try it? And so the doubt be, begins to, to enter into the picture. And we read on and I want you to notice here, by the way, it says that the fruit of the tree was good for food and it was pleasing to the eye. It doesn't say anything in here about an apple. I don't know who was the guy that came up with the apple picture. But the Bible doesn't say apple. I don't know if, if he was a competitor to apples and he wanted to get rid of apples because people were buying apples. I don't know what the deal was. I do know that we have this picture in our minds of apples. Matter of fact, how do we know, man? I mean, I thought I'd kind of prefer a, a real ripe peach. Or what might get me might be a nectarine. Or I've had some plums that just melt in your mouth. But for all we know, this might have been some type of fruit that we've never even seen today. I mean, I picture in my mind this thing might just be kind of like pulsating. You know, just boom, boom, boom. You know, and she just look at it and go, oh, I, I could have that. Well, that thing's just, it's calling my name. And just, you know, just want to reach it, you know, that, 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 just reach out and touch it. Well, you know, there was just, I think there was just this longing and desire to reach out and touch it. I want you to notice the difference here too. I thought this was interesting and I think this is worthwhile to mention in our text here, guys. Um, is that there's a difference in what God said and what Satan had said. It made me think about how temptation works. You know, we're not in a playground. We're in a battleground spiritually to walk with God and to trust Him. And as we look at the, as we look at the text here, God said, do not eat of the tree. He says, or you will surely die. But I want you to notice what the devil says. In verse 3, he says, But God did say, You must not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. He inserted in there, touch it. And I wonder at the moment, when when she took the fruit in her hand, you know, she had that moment there to say, No, I'm not going to do it. But But she bought into the lie, and she said, Well, it's over now, I've touched it. And I think the devil wants to do that with us with temptation too. We say, man, 
this is just too much, you know. I, I just really want to do it, so therefore I might as well do it. I can't fight it. I can't give in to it. It's already over. He wants us to begin to believe that we cannot be victorious. And it's just not true. The reason we miss His blessings is because we give in too soon. Instead of submitting ourselves to God and, and trusting Him and, and living in His strength, we're just too quick, guys, to give in and tend to become victims and I want you to notice here the separation that occurred in verse 8. Um, the man and his wife, <laughs> this is after partaking of that fruit, whatever the forbidden fruit was. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden cool today, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid. The Lord called to the man, <laughs> where are you? I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. They were ashamed. Guys, this was never about God not knowing where they were. I mean, this is God, right? God knew where they were. Do you know what this was about? God wanted them to know where they were. That's what this is about. Do you know that has to happen before there can be revival? The question is not, does God know where I am? The question is, do I know where I am? Do I know where I am before God? Am I hiding? Am I hoping that nobody knows where I am? Am I hoping that somehow God will miss me? I read this week as I stand for this, this man, very faithful in his church, he was 105 years old, and he didn't show up for church for a couple of weeks and everybody got worried about him. So the preacher went to see him and they said, you're probably the most faithful person in this church and we had not seen you. What's wrong? Are you sick? Are you okay? And he goes, well, he said, you know, I've been around a long time. He said, when I was 95 years old, I started getting kind of sick and frail and I thought, it won't be long until God comes and gets me, takes me home. So I better get ready. He said, well, when I got to be 100, I thought, I'm still here. I better walk close with God. He said, now, then when I turned 105, I thought, well, God's so busy, He must have forgotten that I'm still here. And so, I better not go to church. He might remember. (laughs) God knows where you are. There's nowhere to hide from Him. I I entitled this message, You Cannot Run and You Cannot Hide. Hebrews 4.13, we know 4.12, that says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing uh, jo- uh, body and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. But verse 13, man, it speaks here too. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Man, you cannot hide from God! They could not hide from God. God didn't ask them, where are you? Because He didn't know where they were. He asked them, where are you? Because He wanted them to know where they were. And then I'm asking you guys, as I ask me, as I stick one finger out, two come back. Wham, like the three stooges. <laughs> Better be careful. Uh, God is saying, do you know where you are? Where are you in your relationship with me? Revival can't come as long as... I'm fixated on the burden of sin instead of the blessing of God. 
I need to put myself in a position to receive the blessing of God. And guys, as I come to the main part of this message, um, notice they were ashamed. I want to talk about shame. Shame goes one of two ways. And, and turn with me to 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 as we examine a great scripture on this. 2 Corinthians 7 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. I want to start out with the worldly sorrow. Notice what it says here worldly sorrow brings death. What's worldly sorrow? Sorry I got caught. I'm sorry you found out about me. I'm sorry I'm suffering. But it stops there, guys. It's being trapped in the dark. It's not taking that next step to walk in the light as He is in the light and have fellowship with Jesus and one another. It's staying in the dark. That's worldly sorrow. It's interesting, guys. It says that leads to death. And I looked up death. And you know what said death was? One definition, this definition, I love this. said death is the end of something. That's simple. So what happens with worldly repentance? If you stay on the road of worldly repentance, which just says, I'm sorry I got caught, but I'm going to stop there. It, it's going to lead to death somehow. It may be the death of a spiritual blessing. You know, the Bible says, the peace that passes all understanding. He wants us to have it. He wants us to have the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He wants the fruit of the Spirit to mark us, guys. But we can miss it and not have it in our lives and it just stop being there. Death. Because... It's worldly sorrow instead of godly sorrow. could be death of a relationship. I mean, it doesn't mean God doesn't forgive you when you mess things up. He does. But there's often deep scars associated with that. Deep scars that lead to a death of a relationship. And you may want the relationship to continue, but it's, scars are too deep. So it stops. It may be the loss of health. As I have known, uh, I've had friends that have, man, just struggled with drug abuse or, um, or just other health issues. Uh, I was telling this morning in Sunday school about a girl I met that had jumped off of a bridge. I had jumped off of as a, as a, you know, teenager, didn't have enough sense not to. And I met her and she had jumped off the bridge and a log was floating by and she landed on it. And, you know, she's in a wheelchair as a result of that. Be death of health. I don't know. There, you know, I'm not trying to just say that the, the list ends at any one place. The, the thing is, though, that when we are not willing to go into the light where Jesus is, guys, there's a price to be paid. And one of those prices is there's not going to be revival in the church. 
and in God's people. It's not going to happen. It's not going to occur. It's not going to happen. In Ephesians chapter 5, turn me to Ephesians chapter 5. and Paul, as he spoke to the church at Ephesus, he wanted to be clear on this uh, issue, as there were some believers there who obviously were concerned with worldly sorrow, but not godly sorrow. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Paul, as he's speaking to these Christians in Ephesus, people who have bowed their hearts to Jesus, have received His forgiveness, but there's a deadness there, guys. The blessings of God are not able to flow because of the burden of sin there. He says, you were once darkness. Guys, quit living in darkness, he says to them. Because <laughs> you're now right in the Lord. And I think he says that to us as the church, not just Kingsway. I'm talking about the people of God. He says, man, I want you to get out of the dark and I want you to move over into the light. The reason you don't know the fullness of my love, the reason there's not a fire of my presence among you is because there's worldly sorrow instead of godly sorrow in your life. And it needs to change. That's his message. That's his heart. And he's saying this to them there. And and he says, notice there, guys. He says, live as children of light. Put that behind you. You know, he's saying, I want God to show up in this place. And he explains the light. It consists in goodness, righteousness, truth. And he says, find out what pleases the Lord. Man, what a simple thing, but what a great barometer of our lives. God, does this please you? And just ask it honestly. Does it please you, God, or not? And then he goes on as he, he, he counsels them. What's he say? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. He says, guys, don't hide in the dark. You need to come clean. Verse 12, he says, for it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. See the shame there? Shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. He says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible walking into God's light. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Guys, if you're a child of the king, you don't need to live in the dungeon. You need to be with the king. And I believe that's what he is saying. That's what he is communicating to them. Now, I want to say something here about the way the devil works. His job is to entice us to live in the darkness. He's good at it. He says, oh, just try it out. Nobody will know. It'll be our little secret. But it's not that way, is it? And then once we fall, what's he do? <gasps> Me and you, piece of snail slime? You're going to go to church? 
What a hypocrite. You shouldn't go to church. I had a lady this week that I had talked to and um, she started crying and she said, Todd, I, I need to be in church. I need to go to church. But it has been so long. I just don't know if I can go. Last year, same thing with a guy. Told me the same thing. It's been so long since I've been out of church. I don't know if I can Where better place? What's the better place to go? Don't you love the story of the prodigal son? The son who had run away. He had, he, man, he went through all his dad's money and the inheritance. You think his dad would say, bam, it's time to get you straight now, boy. That's not what he did. It says that when the father saw him at a distance, he ran to him and he embraced him. Guys, let me tell you something. When That's the way our God is. I don't know your mess. I'm too caught up in my mess, okay? But the fact of the matter is, I can always run to the Master. And He's going to embrace me. And He'll embrace you too. That's just a lie of the devil. Don't go to church. Don't be around God's people. That's a There's a good Greek word for that. Baloney. That's what that is. Guys, I mean, uh, let's go to God. Go to God. He's the accuser. It says in Revelation 12, 10, um, that He accused, the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night. He constantly accuses. Uh, I read, you'll like this. I read this story about uh, this court scene. The prosecuting attorney called this sweet grandmother up to the stand. And uh, he said to her, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she responded, Why, yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a little boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people, and you talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a rising big shot when you haven't the brains to realize you never will amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. Well, the lawyer was stunned. He didn't know what else to do. So he pointed over to the defense attorney. He said, "Uh, do you know him? (laughs) And uh, she responded, why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster too. I used to babysit him for his parents. And he too has been a real disappointment to me. He's lazy, bigoted. He's a drinking problem. The man can't build a normal relationship with anyone. And his law practice is one of the worst in the entire state. Not to mention he cheated on his wife of three different women. I know him. The defense attorney was so surprised and shocked. At this point, the judge brought the courtroom to silence and called both counselors to the bench. And he said, Now listen, you two. If she asks either one of you, if, um, do you know the judge? I'm finding you for contempt of court. You can run, but you cannot hide. You know what, guys? Our God is the only one. Who really is good? Who really is a righteous judge?
And He knows us. He knows where we are. We can fool each other, but we can't fool Him. It's really that simple. We know what He's like. And here's the deal. He knows what I'm like. And He knows what you're like. You know, in facing that accuser that accused day and night, you look at the next verse, Revelation 12, 11, it says, They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Do we want to have revival? Do we want the blessings of God instead of the burden of sin? Do we want to remember that we were bought with a price? Then we need Jesus to touch the hem of His garment, as Megan sang. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. That He is real, guys. And He is victorious. Now, that is godly sorrow. When you catch hold of Jesus and you catch hold of Him in such a way that you not only claim His name, but you claim His life. (laughs) That you not only say I'm His, you are His. And there's no denying it. Because people see it. That's what we need around here, isn't it? We need God to grab a hold of us, to wake us up. Wake up those sleeping rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That's what we need. That's what I need. That's what you need. And we're desperate. Now, as you think about um, sorrow, worldly sorrow moves you away from the cross. Godly sorrow moves you to the cross. So I'm just going to ask you, if you're burdened and you're broken... Is that burden moving you away from the cross? Or is it moving you to the cross? And I'm here to say, if it's moving you away from the cross, we're going to have this thing we call response or invitation so that we might move to the cross. Not that by you coming up here to pray at the altar or coming before me to pray, that that's where the power lies. But it's just a demonstration that God spoke to you. Because let me tell you guys, the value of you coming before us is that God worked and you're not ashamed to say it. It concretes it. And quite frankly, I want to hear what God's up to. Don't you? I thought about this question. I've kind of said it, I think, already. Uh, But I'll close with this among us as we think of revival. How can you experience God's blessings when you're consumed with sin's burden. Let's pray. Lord, here we are. Oh God. Most of us here are yours already. And we need revival. We need your touch. And uh, what good does it do for us to hide, Lord? You... You know where we are. The question is, do we know where we are, Lord? We're in need of a cross, Lord. We're in need of salvation. We're in need of repentance. 
we're in need of a movement of the Holy Ghost, as they say. We're in a we're just in need of it all, Lord. So God, here's the deal. We need you to show up, Lord. Not so we can talk about King's way, but so we can talk about you. So Lord, this thing we call invitation, Lord, show up, Lord. May we pray, may we come. God, I just ask you to be free to move among us, Lord, because we need you, Lord. I sense it in my life. I sense it among this body. So, Lord, we can run, but we can't hide. So let's just come out in the open and run to the light, Lord. Have your way. In Christ's name, amen.